Grace to you and peace from our triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The word of God for our meditation this morning is our second reading from the book of Acts chapter 10. We hear again these words. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. This is the word of our God, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. They only used the very best olive oil from the first pressing of freshly picked olives. And then, according to a recipe that God himself had given through Moses, they took that olive oil and they mixed it with other rare ingredients. Liquid myrrh, which was made from an expensive aromatic resin used to make perfume and incense. Fragrant cinnamon, and not the cheap kind that we buy at Walmart and sprinkle on our oatmeal, but the really, really good stuff. Something called calamus, which we're just not exactly sure which plant that refers to. We just know that it was renowned for its pleasant scent. And then cassia, a herb with a, a strong and spicy aroma, you get the impression, don't you, that fragrance was really important in this oil. And then this special oil was stored in a container made out of an animal's horn, and it was only used on the very special occasions, like anointing the items that would be used in the worship of the tabernacle, anointing a priest, anointing a king. For example, the prophet Samuel anointed David. You can imagine that fragrant oil running down David's head and into his beard and all onto the collar of his robe and soaking in so that it was obvious who the Lord's choice was to be the leader of his people. Because you could smell him. You could smell David, the anointed one, coming from a mile away. Jesus is the anointed one. That's what his title means. Messiah from the Hebrew and Christ from the Greek both mean the anointed one. But you know, Jesus never had that fragrant aromatic oil poured onto his head. No, God reserved something extra special for him. He anointed his son, as we just heard, with the Holy Spirit and power. On the day of his baptism, heaven itself was torn open. The Spirit descended on Jesus in the form of a dove. And the Father's own voice boomed from heaven his approval. This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So why was Jesus anointed? What job was he to do? What was his office? Prophet? Priest? King? Well, yeah, all of those things, actually. You see, at his baptism in the River Jordan, God inaugurated his ministry. He got it going. He set his son apart for a unique purpose, to be the substitute and savior of every sinner. Jesus' baptism, my friends, makes clear that he came to do a job. And Peter does a beautiful job in our text of describing that job for us. Jesus came to save all people from their sins, to rescue us from the power of the devil, and finally, to give us peace. Acts chapter 10 tells the story of Cornelius. Cornelius was a Roman centurion, an officer in the army. Uh, he was also a believer in the one true God and a generous and pious man. And one day, God granted him a vision in which he saw an angel telling him, send to a place called Joppa and look for a guy named Peter. 
Well, he did that. He sent some people to find Peter, and while they were on their way, Peter also had his own vision in which he saw this sheet lowered down from heaven, and running around on this sheet were all kinds of wild animals, clean and unclean animals. And a voice told Peter, "'Get up, kill and eat.'" Peter wasn't about to do that, though. He had remained kosher his entire life. He wouldn't eat anything unclean, so he turned up his nose. But then the voice instructed him, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then those men who had come from Cornelius showed up. Peter went back with them to Caesarea, and then something really remarkable happened. Peter, a Jew, entered the home of Cornelius, a Gentile. This was unheard of. But Peter had learned a lot from that vision. He explained this way, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. In other words, all those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, are accepted by God. Jesus, again, this is the big epiphany theme, Jesus came to save all people. And sometimes we hear that and we think to ourselves, really? Really? All people? Even murderers and rapists and pedophiles and cheaters and liars and swindlers? Abortionists, adulterers, arsonists? Drug dealers, human traffickers, slave owners, fornicators, homosexuals, pornographers, all of those people too? Yes, beyond a shadow of a doubt, our God does not show favoritism. God sent Jesus into this world to suffer and die and save every last sinner. Even you. Even me. You know, sometimes we Bible-believing, church-going, law-abiding people can begin to think that we're a little bit better than a lot of other people out there. You know, I'm certain that Peter struggled with those kinds of thoughts. I wonder how hard it was for him to walk over that threshold into the home of a Gentile. I'll just bet that, that just about every molecule in his body was quivering in protest. I mean, he wasn't just a Gentile, he was a hated Roman soldier. But the lesson that Peter had received was just too clear. It couldn't be missed. Jesus came to save all. And so, my friends, without exception, those who repent and believe in Jesus Christ have every blessing that he won for them. You see, in God's eyes, all people are exactly the same. This is how Paul explained it. He said, There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. The lesson for us today is very clear, isn't it? Every person that you meet, no matter who they are, no matter what they have done, no matter what they are currently doing, is loved by God. So much that he sent the Savior from them, including that person staring back at you from the mirror. God sent Jesus to do a job for us, to live and die for us, and so to save us. And my friends, because Jesus did that job, we are indeed saved. 
Peter has more good news for Cornelius and his family. He says, You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. Healing all who were under the power of the devil. You know, we often talk uh, about Jesus' miracles, and especially so during the Epiphany season. But wouldn't it have been something to actually be there and witness one of those miracles firsthand with your own eyes? I mean, imagine taking a cup and tasting some of that excellent wine that just a few minutes before had been nothing but plain, pure water. Imagine seeing a man crippled from birth suddenly have strength restored to his legs as he pops up and picks up his mat and begins to walk and maybe even jump and shout and sing for joy. Imagine standing next to our Lord Jesus, who is weeping bitter tears in sorrow for his dear friend who has died, but then who dries his own tears by powerfully raising him from the dead. Every miracle of our Lord Jesus was really an undoing of what the devil had done. It was a reversing of the effects of sin. Sin causes a lack of good things, so Jesus makes delicious wine. Uh, Sin causes hurt, it harms health, so Jesus heals. Sin brings people down to the grave. Sin kills, so Jesus raises to life. Now the devil, of course wants to do more than just make a little mischief. And he even wants to do more than just cause the the kind of pain and sorrow that comes from things like caskets and cancer. No, the devil wants to cause the ultimate pain. He wants to cause the pain that never ends, the sorrow that never ceases. You see, misery loves company. And the devil is himself a loser suffering in the fire of hell. And he does not want to suffer there alone. So he and his demons will stop at nothing to get us down to hell with them. They, they launch every effort, every temptation they send at us, promising us fun and fulfillment. And they keep us so busy with all the activities of life, focused on those things that, that we hardly have time left for things like God and his word and his sacraments and praying to him. They get us to focus on ourselves and on finding our happiness in things that we can hold in our hands. They keep our eyes off the one thing that can actually give us peace and on all kinds of other things that simply can't. In short, the devil does all he can to keep us away from Jesus. But you know what? We don't have to worry about him and his power anymore. Because when Jesus was done with him, the devil ran away like a dog with his tail between his legs. St. John tells us the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Jesus came to do that job. He came to rescue us from the power of the devil, and that he did. Oh, sure, Satan still is making some noise. Satan still says that we aren't good enough for God. And he's right. But Jesus took care of that problem by living a perfectly sin-free, obedient life in our place as our substitute. The devil is still constantly accusing us of our sins. And he's right, we are sinners. But Jesus silenced Satan's accusations by shedding his holy and precious blood, the blood that cleanses us of every unrighteousness. The devil keeps on reminding us that death is coming for us one day too. 
And he's right. But my friends, we don't have to fear the death that's coming. We know because of the empty tomb of our Savior that that death is just the gateway to eternal life. So Satan can bark and rage. He can blow and bluster. He can huff and puff all he wants. But he can harm us none. The anointed one came to defeat the devil. And he won. And so, my friends, we are free. We are no longer under Satan's thumb, under his power. We're no longer squeezed in his clutches. Instead, we are wrapped tightly and safely in the loving arms of our Savior. As I mentioned before, Cornelius was a centurion. He was an officer in the Roman army's Italian regiment. He was a soldier, and he had risen up to the position of being an officer, a centurion, which means he was probably an experienced soldier. No doubt he had seen battle. He knew what that was all about. He had witnessed firsthand the terrible violence and bloodshed, the death and destruction. He knew what war was all about. And now, because of Jesus, this Roman warrior knew what peace was all about. This is what Peter said to him. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. The good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Just what kind of peace are we talking about? Well, It's the peace that the angels sang about in the skies above Bethlehem. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. It's the kind of peace that no armistice or ceasefire signed by people could ever accomplish. It's the peace that you can't gain through the people, the places, the pursuits, and the pleasures of this world. It's a peace that finally only God can give. Jesus put it this way. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You see, it's a kind of peace that's found only at the blood-stained cross and the empty, victorious tomb of our Savior. It's not just a peace that exists between human beings who can't ever really seem to get along, right? As we have once again proved loudly and clearly in the news this week. It's not just a peace that puts uh, rifles onto storage racks and tanks into mothballs for a little while. It's a peace that transcends understanding. It's a peace that defines explanation. It's the kind of peace that you can only experience when Almighty God himself looks you in the eye and says, I forgive you and I always will. My friends, in Christ, that's exactly what our God says to each and every one of us. I forgive you. Every moment of rebellion, every act of selfishness, every word spoken in anger, every lust-filled thought, every last one of your sins, they are all gone, washed away in a tide of Jesus' cleansing blood. That is real peace. And it is ours in Jesus Christ. My friends, Jesus came into this world to do a job. And because he did, we are so very blessed. We are saved. The devil is done. And peace is ours now and forever. All of that through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, our Savior. All praise and thanks be to him forever and ever. Amen.